Welcome to the London Irish Business Society Leadership Series. My name is Brian O'Connor. In this series, we spend time with leaders across a range of industries discussing their careers, leadership advice, and what it means to be part of the global Irish community. On today's podcast, I'm joined by Stephen Kelly. Stephen is a serial CEO, having led several high-profile technology companies, including Cordiant, Microfocus, and most recently, Sage. From 2010 to 2014, Stephen was the Chief Operating Officer for the UK Government, where he was responsible for efficiency and reform. He has won multiple high-profile awards, including number one on the UK's most influential Tech 500 power list, as well as Mentor of the Year and Evening Standard Top 3 Business People for 2018. He is also an investor, coach and mentor to a range of businesses, from startups to large corporations. Stephen, welcome to the Libs Leadership Series. Great stuff, Brian. Really good to be here and thanks for the invite. No problem at all. See, but it'd be great if you could start us off with telling us about your very first leadership role. How did it come about and did you feel you were ready for it? Yes, yeah, interesting. Uh, it's a fascinating topic around leadership, especially at the moment uh, in a crisis. Um, and I think with leadership, obviously, you also need really good followers too. Uh, but the essence of great leadership is, you know, taking the initiative, uh, being able to put out fires in crisis, and uh, also maybe sometimes seeing around corners. But obviously, as a leader, you know, I've made lots of mistakes. And the first time sort of I got thrust into leadership was sort of something I never planned. Uh, and it was in my personal life. Uh, and then I'll come on to talk about my business life as well. Hmm. Um, so when I was about 14, my dad got very sick. Um, and uh, he was a, a business person, ran his own business, small business. Uh, and he was basically kind of wiped out. So my mum kind of launched in, became a full-time executive running the business, sold the business. And, and because, uh, you know, we were sort of working class, um, the reality is we all had to step up and I had uh, a brother mm. and sister. But it just, uh, I, I don't know how it happened actually, but I sort of seemed to be taking responsibility. So, you know, I actually, at the age of 14, sort of was the person who initiated the sale of our house and we downsized. And me and my brother and sister, we all got, I probably had six jobs, different jobs between the age of sort of 14 and 17, you know, from laboring, two paper rounds, selling ice creams on the seafront, working at Sainsbury's, you know, whatever it took really to keep, keep some money in. And, and when I look back on it, that was probably the first sort of seismic moment where uh, leadership was thrust upon me and it obviously wasn't through my choice. But it is quite often the case, I think, with leadership, some people yearn it, uh, but some people were sort of quite reluctant. And in the business world, then I went off, you know, I was part of the first generation in our family that went to university and college. And then I got a graduate job uh, and then went into an early stage company that's grown amazingly called Oracle. Um, And that's when I first went into technology uh, in the sort of mid and late 80s. And I became a sales manager there. And I guess you could say, you know, then you sort of fit the pigeon in the box or whatever. You fit me into a pigeonhole. And, uh, and then I'm a sort of leader, a general manager, and uh, have a team and a responsibility. And, and people look to you. Um, mm. And I think, you know, the, even early on, a, a great friend of mine, Steve Garnett, uh, who's been sort of a mentor, a great friend, he's always said, and I think this is so true, you know, in times when things are going really, really well, you know, the leader should sit at the back of the room and put the put the team on the stage and they take all the accolades. 
Uh, and then in times of crisis, you know, I think that's the time when leaders come to the fore and have to step up and take the bullets. And uh, it's certainly one of those periods now. Uh, and I learned, you know, Oracle's really fortunate, I worked with brilliant people. Uh, the business was going really well. You know, typically, I'd be leading teams that uh, grew the revenue line by triple digits. So like 100% compound growth. Uh, and in those environments, it's just great to build a fantastic team of huge talent and let people you know exceed their potential and uh you know i learned the lessons uh in terms of leadership uh from from the trenches really and i kind of think of myself as a very much a leader but very much connected to the people and the followers around me and uh always keep that sense of perspective and keep your feet on the ground absolutely that's uh quite an introduction to uh, leadership both from your personal life and, and then at Oracle and like you said I think you're better probably best suited as, as, as anyone to give advice to those looking to lead companies both through the current pandemic and, and out of it. Um, is there anything that comes to mind when you when you think of general advice for those leaders? Yeah at the moment um, obviously there's a category of companies that are doing exceptionally well because of the crisis and you know I'm sure they didn't plan for that either so you know companies like Zoom uh, Peloton, yeah, you know, out there cycling around the world uh, in a digital world. Um, and then obviously online groceries, Amazon, um, DPD delivery. So because of the whole world shifting yeah, literally in six weeks to go to an online digital world, uh, there's been winners and losers. There's a small category of winners. But probably most businesses, you know, I'm thinking of Irish entrepreneurs working out of London, um and actually across ireland as well there's a lot of businesses that have had to adapt and change very quickly and some of them have seen a sort of collapse in their revenue line or or certainly a more vulnerable top line um and in those cases you know i work with a lot of um, ceos and actually i've blogged extensively on twitter and linkedin and be great for people to go and check that out on on really the playbooks that they need to kick in in terms of resetting their plan against new revenue reality to take their expenses down to a level that preserves cash really. Cause this, you know, if, if we go into recession as we inevitably will do, um, then this is going to be a time where you've got to preserve cash and keep that because that's the fuel of both survival and then growth when we come out of it. So, you know, I think most CEOs I know six weeks ago put plans together to survive mm. and then now they're turning their attention to how they thrive and they come out and emerge stronger. And I think, you know, on a personal level, um, for leaders, I think it's really important because there's a lot of, you know, fear, uh, and rightly so, because there's a very tragic sort of human uh, element around the pandemic. Um, and where there's that fear, you know, I think uh, your employees, even your customers, uh, your stakeholders look to you to fill that vacuum and fill that vacuum with hope. Um, and that's what you can do in terms of your behaviors, your visibility, your probably over communication at the moment. I think that's all well and good. So, uh, and you every day you want to kind of come in to your home office, uh, switch your Zoom on, uh, connect with your employees, your customers, your suppliers, uh, the community, to all the stakeholders who matter, including your investors. Um, and you want to be the best chief executive, the best leader you can every day. Absolutely. I think one thing this crisis has done is help us reassess our priorities, both as individuals, but as corporations as well. You've talked a lot in the past about compassionate capitalism, Stephen. Can you talk a little bit about your, your thoughts on that and 
how its importance may be increasing as we look to emerge as a, as a society. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think it was Winston Churchill, but probably lots of other people who have said never waste a crisis. Uh, underneath, there's a DNA within a lot of business people like me where we think uh, we should place purpose on a par with profit. So um, I think, you know, who, who are the wealth creators around the world? It's businesses, uh, it's entrepreneurs, it's chief executives leading their companies and trying to do it the best they can in terms of serving their customers and delighting them and building fantastic engagement with their employees. But, uh, you know, just to build a company in isolation, uh, I think this is the point. And I think, you know, we can see the world creators and the greatest companies now really reaching out into their communities, uh, feeling a great sense of social responsibility, almost philanthropy, uh, to do the right thing uh, and to make a difference around them. And I think in this crisis, it's quite noticeable, you know, you've had uh, some people who have been absolute heroes, you know, Kurt Geiger, um, the chief executive there, Neil went literally day one and said, I'll take a, a, a pay cut. I'll share the pain with everybody. And he took a 50% pay cut. And then immediately afterwards said, and by the way, we'll give a 50% discount to all health workers. So showing that compassion, showing, uh, you know, that the, the your company has a soul, has a heart uh, and has love for the community within it, which it occupies and also a consciousness of the human tragedy going around with Corona, uh, particularly probably in the UK. Most of us know someone who's been directly affected, uh, a family member, and, and it's pretty scary. Um, and I think where you've seen businesses really step up and you're seeing it now on kind of um, mainstream advertising where companies are saying, you know, we're here for you, you can trust us, uh, but also we're doing all these wonderful things for NHS workers, NHS charities. Uh, and I think that really brings to life the humanity of the leaders and the chief executives. And, and also it's a really kind of big rallying cry for the employees of those companies. So, yeah, I, I do think this should be really embedded uh, as a culture culture where and we call it compassionate capitalism where it's more than just making money it's more than just achieving growth it's more than just serving uh, shareholders it's actually serving a, a much wider and broader base of stakeholders uh, and obviously it's the traditional stakeholders like your employees your customers suppliers the ecosystem but also the community that sits outside um, your offices so you know we all work at home now but when i worked in london uh, I could walk 50 yards out of our office uh, and see homeless people. And, uh, you know, they're human beings just like you and me. And actually probably there, but for the grace of God, go, certainly me, um, a few wrong turns in your life and any of us could have been there. So I think um, just that acknowledgement and, and back to keeping your feet on the ground and trying to uh, help people who uh, have had less opportunities and uh, less of the advantages that we have. And I think this is uh, coming out of this. I think, you know, it's a seismic moment where we can choose the sort of society we want to live in. You know, obviously we can choose much more around flexible working. We can choose, you know, talking about much more openly around shared parenting, all these sort of opportunities to actually create a better society, a better work environment, but also a better society for the prosperity of all. So I think, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a golden opportunity that we have to sort of reset and rethink and almost reboot capitalism to make sure it serves a wider community. And, you know, very passionate. And uh, 
actually there's someone who just say uh, who's done an amazing job on this mark benioff at salesforce.com uh who 20 years ago started the company and has built it to like 150 billion of value um and just you know this is a key philosophy and they've got a salesforce foundation that does absolutely incredible work um with volunteering of their employees plus millions of dollars for charitable causes and uh it really brings to life the essence of compassionate capitalism and it makes it very real very tangible and very meaningful absolutely i was in san francisco earlier in the year before the travel lockdown and i was walking to the office i was working at and passed mark benioff's children's hospital uh, en route to work so you get a sense of the the priorities that our leaders can have and the effect that that has not just on their employees but on their their communities as well in terms of the priorities that we have as we think about as we reflect in the in the time of covid and more generally it'd be great to speak with you Stephen, about what you've learned about work-life balance over the course of your career and whether it's something that can even be achieved yeah um and actually i probably wouldn't say i'm a great example of this because i have in my work been pretty extreme you know i've worked incredibly hard um and if i had my life again you know i think the, the irony of now is with these eight weeks, it really does make you think. Um, and it makes you question uh, the whole way you've been operating before. Uh, I think it's really important, especially important now, you know, in the digital age where, you know, we, we spend hours a day on this technology um, to really have a self-care plan for yourself, uh, obviously people around you as a leader, the employees within your company, uh, your colleagues, um, and I think it's really important to really support their physical and mental health and well-being uh, and their wellness plans. So, again, in terms of leadership, I've seen some brilliant work. I'm involved in probably a dozen companies where I've invested and I'm on the board of three companies. And I've seen some incredibly inspiring um, initiatives from those leaders around mental well-being, you know, not just the things like fun things like uh, Friday fun and um, quizzes and competitions and bake-offs and all these sort of things that I'm seeing and people posting great stuff on social media to, you know, create that sense of camaraderie. But also a lot of them have, have set up already programs around sort of um, mental first aiders and buddy programs where, you know, I'm quite lucky got a garden so when lockdown comes uh you know in some respects i'm quite fortunate but if i'm living in a tower block in central london on the 12th floor with no balcony and no kind of green space and no yard no garden then uh, and probably you know three small kids running around the place uh, i can't imagine how much of a struggle and you know almost like a juggling that has to be trying to keep your job going on zoom calls and keep your family um, through, uh, you know, homeschooling and stuff like that. And therefore, you know, these companies are really sort of outreach with a buddy program where people who uh, feel, you know, I guess a beacons of light uh, can put their arm around other colleagues who may be vulnerable uh, and just check in with them. So, so I think there's a lot of things we've seen that come back to question work-life balance. Uh, I think also, I think it's a great thing that we talk about this much more openly and transparently and authentically. And I, I actually, I do think one of the benefits coming out of this is um, this sad corona crisis will probably, hopefully, destroy this sort of presenteeism 
where you have to be in the office and people get in the office and almost like there's that macho culture where you get in the office at seven o'clock and you're the last one to leave. And that was very much old world leadership. And I don't think that exists and I don't think it's healthy. And I think it undermines work-life balances. And I don't think you get the best out of your colleagues uh, if they're really struggling or feeling guilty uh, about making the wrong choices. And I think, um, you know, I think the, the whole shift we'll see coming out of this is all about quality. It's all about outputs. It doesn't matter where people are. People, you know, could be on Mars, but, um, you know, truthfully, they're going to be working at home. But I think it's going to be really fantastic in terms of flexible working, staggered commutes, you know, being able to pick up the kids and going on to remote working in the evenings. And, and actually, it all speaks to a, a word, you know, that's really vital, and especially in leadership, and that's trust. So it really builds a bond of trust between the employee and the manager or the leader. Uh, and that trust has to be reciprocated. And it's a strong bond of two-way trust where, you know, you allow people to have discretion and empowerment to just do the job and do the, do the job of the best of their ability and produce the outputs that are quality. But you're not kind of checking the clock or timekeeping or checking where they are. You're allowing them to get on with it and become much more empowered and take responsibility for how they deliver and the process to get the results and work with the team. Uh, so I think there's a lot of uh, good things could come out of this. And, you know, finally, I'd say uh, around work-life balance, I think if you talk to a lot of leaders and they're honest with you, I'm sure if they had their time again, they would probably do things differently. I think all of us would do that. Uh, but I'm, I'm sort of a believer where you don't want to live with too many regrets and you learn from the past, you live in the present and you create the future. And that's the essence of the leadership that you want to do, but you want to create an environment where people feel absolutely 100% they can be themselves uh, and they're very comfortable being themselves. And you, you don't want to create this uh, oppression around uh, having to do, you know, turn up at work or being there because you think it's important. I think it's a great time for you just as a leader to step back, create the platform for them to build the trust and do a great job and feel really good about themselves and really good about the engagement they have with you and, and the company you represent. I want to take a step back in your own career, Stephen. One of the biggest leaps any leader can take in their career is that first time becoming a chief executive officer. This for you was at Cordiant. Yeah. I'd love to hear a little bit about your, your mindset at the time, a little around the, were there any misgivings? Did you, was this something you'd uh, had an ambition around for a long time? What was that decision like for you? Um, in, in many ways, actually, I'd say um, some of the leadership roles that I've been thrust into, and this is one that's included, was, I wouldn't say I was a reluctant leader, but it certainly wasn't really planned. Uh, but I got a tap on the shoulder. The chief executive said uh, that they were planning to become chairman. Uh, and it, the individual, Sam Spadafora, was a great friend, a good mentor, a great leader, um, and a wonderful human being. And uh, they said, would you consider, you know, stepping up and becoming the chief executive? So uh, with many of these uh, opportunities, even how you create businesses sometimes, you find a, a need in the market. But five years ago, you probably never have imagined that you'd be leading a startup. 
Uh, just same for me at Cordian. I was part of the startup team and through a, a various circumstances, Sam decided to become chairman and, and gave me the platform, the opportunity. Uh, at the time, you know, probably some misgivings. Um, I, you know, I did discuss it, but did I really think it through completely? Because most of Cordian's customers were either on the eastern seaboard, on the east coast of the USA, or over in Europe. Uh, but the headquarters was in California. So uh, in terms of the travel, it was absolutely brutal. And I was, you know, spending hundreds of thousands uh, of miles uh, in the air. And, uh, you know, there's one point almost I was like commuting between Europe and California every week. So there was a very big personal cost that, you know, I underestimated. And I certainly didn't go into that with my eyes open. But um, it was a period, I think, where as a first CEO uh, or a founder, even startup with kind of many people on the podcast today, um, you, you know, it's a roller coaster ride. You learn at breakneck speed and you do make a lot of mistakes. Certainly as a first time CEO, lots of things um, I did that I would do differently now. And, uh, you know, you learn from those sort of failures. You learn, you, you ideally you want to have a culture where you fail fast. Uh, and you learn from that. You take those lessons learned and, and never repeat those mistakes. But um, certainly it's, it's an interesting time. You know, I was very privileged and honored to be CEO of a NASDAQ company. Uh, we built a fantastic culture, massive customer obsession, brilliant customers, fantastic colleagues. Uh, and we built a very successful company. However, uh, there was lots of things, you know, I definitely do differently and, and probably one of those early on is just a golden rule of leadership is surround yourself with a great team and just remember that sense of humility. Um, but, you know, I, I, we were struggling at the time because the market was so hot uh, that it was really tough to hire top quality people. And there was just so many crazy, you were almost like before the, the Corona crisis, all, all, the, all the hot technology companies were really competing for the best resources, the best human capital. Uh, so it was, a, it was a tough time. And then obviously we got whacked uh, by the dot-com collapse. So, you know, we went from very fast growth, I think from 0 to 70 million in four years. And then we, you know, came into like um, now a public company, I'm chief executive, and there's the dot-com collapse back in what, 2001, 2002. And I drove from quite often from San Francisco down to Palo Alto, down the 101 freeway. And, uh, you know, you drive down along there and before the collapse uh, in the market and the recession uh, driven by the dot-com sort of asset pricing, which just kind of wiped out and, and was crazy when you look at it in retrospect. But before that, you know, these offices were teaming. You couldn't get any space. You couldn't get any office space. You couldn't really hire people. It was a really hot market. You had crazy crazy situations where employees uh when you recruited them would say they don't want they want zero salary and they want all their compensation in equity because they said you know everybody's you know, all these companies going out these startups valued at two billion three billion four billion which means the the equity is worth huge amounts life-changing amounts they could you know buy their parents a second home or do whatever they want to do with the money but you know then you get hit by the recession. Then we're driving down the 101 and, and literally either side of the freeway, you see these see-through offices uh, where in nine months, the unemployment rate went from 2% to 
to about 11%. And people just kind of went home back to the Midwest, back to Asia. Uh, and, you know, the economy was decimated. Uh, and then obviously the, the, the converse situations is the very same people that you hired a year before were coming in and sitting down with you and saying, Stephen, can I kind of give you all that equity back? And um, could I have compensation and salary because I've got a mortgage to pay and stuff like that? So fortunately, I think as a CEO, you just want to say calm, considered, and we were very balanced and we made sure people had enough compensation in terms of cash compensation. And we, you know, we didn't do the stuff that was crazy to say do 100% equity and stuff like that. But it does make you think, really, in terms of just keeping your feet on the ground, keeping a sense of perspective, um, and and during those sort of periods, uh, the the there's seismic change in the economy through a recession. It's it, you don't appreciate it at the time because you're just working flat out eighty odd hours a week, and it's exhausting. But when you come back to reflect on it, it's probably a period where you learn more in in those times and times of adversity than you'd ever learn in the good times when you're really just turning the handle and just showing up and the machine's kind of really purring um so that that was how i got into my first um and it was a sort of roller coaster ride and uh, um lots of good memories around my first leadership role but lots of mistakes uh, and lots of learnings really through that and, and also in the wider context it was probably you know a, a great rule in life is sort of pick your timing I probably couldn't have picked a worse timing uh, of leading a tech company uh, right at the, the, the crux of the dot-com collapse so the, the timing wasn't certainly uh, in my favor and uh, you know my best advice if you're if you're lucky then keep being lucky. And uh, obviously, the more you practice and the more you, you work, then you'll get luckier. But a sense of timing is, is no bad thing for you. Wonderful. Well, look, a fantastic nugget to leave our listeners with. You've uh, certainly got a career that all of us can learn a lot from. If people want to follow you, Stephen, or learn more about uh, some of your work, where should they follow you? Yeah, just on social media, uh, across all the platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, is at S. Kelly. Uh, the handle is at S. Kelly CEO, at S. Kelly CEO. And um, also, if, if you're really interested in your leading a company at the moment through Corona times, then I've done a lot of blogs about my experiences, kind of the playbooks of how to get through this crisis, how to survive and thrive and come out the other side and uh, be the best CEO you can be. And it's all about uh, leadership. And I wish everybody uh, great fortune. Obviously, keep safe, keep well. Uh, look after yourself. Look after your teams. And every day, try and just be the best chief executive and leader that you can be. Wonderful. Well, Stephen, thank you very much for joining us today. And we'll include those links in the show notes. Great stuff. Thanks, Brian. Really nice to chat. That's it for today's podcast. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Davy Group and Morgan McKinley. For more information about the London Irish Business Society, you can find us on all the usual social channels and on our website, which is linked in the show notes. Thank you for listening.